Okay, hello everybody. I hope you all can hear me. Okay, I'm Louis, the Singapore country's chapter lead for CEO Class. So CEO Class is a global non-for-profit organization that aims to empower young leaders with personal goals and growth. So with me today, um, we also have um, behind the scenes, Nicholas, who's also the program's lead and he's helping with some back-end stuff and he's very capable, so he's helping us with that. Uh, in our team, the Singapore chapter team, we also have Beverly, which is the community lead, and also Jia Chang, which is the partnership lead. So if you can um, see us on Instagram, all our faces are all there. Now, I think tonight's session is very special to us because it's our first webinar planned by Singapore's chapter. And we're excited to invite Mr. Felix Tan, the CEO and the founder of Skilio. So thanks for joining us tonight, Felix. Thanks so, for inviting me. You're welcome. So a brief introduction to Felix is that he's, as I mentioned, he's the founder and CEO of Skilio, which is an ad tech startup that measures and tracks soft skill development in youth. He's passionate about the space of youth development and education. As a student entrepreneur, he won the Singapore's chapter of the Global Student Entrepreneur Award organized by the Entrepreneur Organization in January last year. He also represented Singapore in the global finals of the Startup World Championship in Montreal and is the silver awardee of the National Youth Entrepreneur Awards organized by the Action Community for Entrepreneurship. So um, just a brief um, overview of this event. It will be a Q&A session with Felix for him to share his insights. And after that, there will be a live Q&A where if any of you have any questions, you can either um, say it or you can do it in the chat. Okay. So if everyone is good, then I think we'll start the session officially now. So hi, Felix. Maybe uh, it'd be great if you can tell us more about yourself. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me again and uh, great to see everybody here. Uh, I'm Felix. Uh, I'm a... Uh... I would say I'm a part-time student and also uh, and a full-time startup founder. Um, so I'm currently in my in my final semester in NUS. I'm uh, doing um, global studies in arts and social science, um, and um, that's the boring part. But the, the more fun part is that I started Skillio, which is a edutech company, and we really look at helping students build up a digital soft skills portfolio uh, that they can use to secure their dream opportunities uh, after you know school or when they're applying for any jobs in the future yeah so that's a little bit about me and uh what we are doing that's nice i think yeah i think we are all most of us are part-time students i think it's very interesting and quite um admiring that you're able to manage finding uh, founding a startup and also studying at the same time um, i think the next question is maybe could you elaborate more on your specific roles and responsibilities um managing skillio yeah so i i'm more on working on the business development and the product development side um, and uh, for my co-founders, Zihui, uh, she works on the skills and research as well as the marketing. And uh, I have my other co-founder, Dodi, who works on the tech. Uh, yeah, so I think for me, my, my area of specialization is around, you know, how do we, um, you know, get sales and how do we, you know, look at our pricing model and, and go to market strategies uh, as well as also looking at how do we make a, a good enough product and then try to achieve product market fit. I think especially for startups, right? I think the very first step you know, of everything else is, you know, how do you make sure that you have a good product that solves a pain point for the users? And uh, from there, then you will have to figure out a lot of other things along the way. Yeah, so that's a bit of what I do um, on my front and also, uh, you know, my, my rest, respective kind of um, expertise in what I do in the area. I mean. Okay, thank you. I think you mentioned a lot of um, business terminologies like pain point, but then you, you've mentioned earlier that you are global studies um, undergrad. So maybe can, can you let us know like, maybe how do you learn all those business terminology? What are some tips maybe you can share with the audience here today? Yeah, so interestingly, um, my sort of journey with entrepreneurship started when uh, I finished my army. I, I actually was a youth trainer, uh, entrepreneurship trainer with Reactor School. Um, so we go to schools and teach entrepreneurship concepts and, and uh, to students. Uh, and actually, that was my first uh, interaction or my first kind of exposure to uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, so back then, right, my, my mundane goal was to be, oh, to be a teacher after I graduate. Um, and then I realized that, you know, it's so difficult to make change, right, within the system. Um, and just nice at that point in time, uh, when just before I entered university, uh, I sort of, you know, had the chance exposure to expose myself to entrepreneurship. And so I asked myself, you know, can entrepreneurship be an avenue, right, for me to make change within the education system? And I think that's where I sort of got exposed to the concept, like, you know, uh, how do you um, look at validating the user's pain point? How do you achieve product market fit and all of that? Lah. So, you know, uh, it's been an interesting uh, journey to, to look at. Yeah. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I think actually quite similar. Like you and me wanted to be teachers last time also. So I, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was in JC and in army also. So it like changed my career path. I think um it's quite interesting because you have mentioned that you want to make a change within the system, uh, like using skillless technology. I think on the concept of this, the technology, what was your inspiration that made you decide to use AI instead of let's say a website etc. Only. Yeah. So so I think uh, for me, I sort of um. Uh, this goes back to when I was in J1, right? So uh, in, in junior college, uh, I was doing a lot of like facilitation work lah, for youth, right? So in the area of soft skills and in helping students instill growth mindset and all of that thing. Um, and um, what I realized is for a lot of this like soft skills kind of intervention, whether is it a program, whether is it a workshop, a lot of it ends there. And you know, you don't expect anybody to become a good leader after a three days leadership workshop or leadership camp. Right. A lot of times, um, soft skills is something that uh, you need uh, constant practice and iteration uh, as you go uh, through your educational journey. And I think that was where we, I sort of, you know, we saw the gap in the sense that can we help students to understand and identify their soft skills and sort of track it over time? Because the thing is, soft skills, like I said, cannot be, you know, uh, developed, you know, with just a three days workshop and so on. So I think that was where we said, hey, you know, can we find a way to help students quantify all the different things that they've been doing in their CCAs, in their, you know, uh, workshops and all that uh, into a condensed portfolio that they can bring with them uh, around. So when we look at what's the existing solution in the market, right, so we see like, you know, your MBTI, Finder, and all that. Um, a lot of times for those kind of solutions, it is still very numerical, right? So you rate on a scale of 1 to 10 how good you are, right? Um, and that in itself, right, doesn't really... Um, you know, bring out the nuances, right, of the, a certain quality of, of a certain individual, especially in soft skills, right? Uh, it's very hard to put soft skills to a number. So I think for us, we sort of decided to look at, um, you know, uh, uh, AI, especially looking at natural language processing, right, to pick out, you know, nuances in behaviors as the students input some of this data uh, on our platform, right, and then try to visualize it into a uh, actionable kind of graph and, and insights for them to actually improve and move forward with. Yeah, so that's a little bit of how it came about. Um, and we we started off with um, really at first trying to just create like another strengths finder and things like that. But we realized that actually um, that concept itself might actually be tough to execute, especially within the student space. And then especially, uh, you know, uh, trying to look at it at a pedagogical sense as well. Okay, thank you. I think you've mentioned a lot of we in this um, conversation and I'm sure that some of our audience here today Maybe they have an idea, but they are questioning how do they find suitable teammates or co-founders to just set up the whatever idea companies they actually have. So could you share with us how did your, you mentioned you have two other co-founders. So how yeah. did the three of you actually met, meet, and how do you work together? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, so you know, I always say that like, you know, finding co-founders is like you know, uh, marriage, right? You're finding like a life partner. If let's say this goes well, yeah, you are in it together for five years, three to five years, right? And you want to make sure that you're finding people that um can align in a vision and also are able to have commit and and bring this forward. So I always have you know like um uh, three tips, right? Uh, to sort of or, or three principles in a sense, right? To look at when you're trying to identify a co-founder. Right. So first is really, you know, do this group of people right have a common vision? Right? Do they believe in the same kind of um, you know vision or the same kind of problem that you are looking to solve? Right. So the, the second one right is to look at uh, do you have a complementary skill set? So you want people that uh, you know I, I can't code for nuts right. So I want people I need to have people who can code and bring the product to life. Right. I need to people to do something that I'm weak at. So do you have complementary skill set? And the last checklist, right, is really, um, do you, uh, are you committed to do this, right? So uh, are people willing to put in time? And let's say, you know, when you have a certain commitment that comes up, which one do you prioritize? Of course, uh, and of course, if you then have that commitment and all three of you can uh, complement each other in the skill set and believe in the same vision, usually um, the th- this will actually be a, a very strong team, uh, um, that can execute and investors look for. So for us, right, our sort of how we started, I started as a solo founder. So I was the only one doing it and trying to test this idea and concept. Um, and I met my CTO um, because he was also a, a facilitator at one of the training companies I was teaching at. And uh, back then he was an A-level student and he was like learning coding on his own. 
even though it's 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 not tested in A levels, right? Uh, and and basically, I was quite amazed, lah. And 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 he also believes uh, because he's from Indonesia, so he got a scholarship to study in Singapore. Uh, so he also believe in you know trying to make education you know more accessible, right, for for laymen. Uh, and I think that's where you know we align in the vision, and he he complement me in the skills that, and also for my other co-founder Tsui, I met her at orientation camp in university. So very interesting. Um, and for her, she was also already in the training space, so she was strength finder certified coach. Uh, she was also doing psychology right in university. So that brings another element skill sets right uh, that the team needs lah. So. Then the last part of commitment, right? So actually, both of them joined as volunteers first. So they actually volunteered their time and uh, helped me out with the idea for six months to a year before you know really uh, we sort of sat down and say I told them that hey you know um, why don't you all join me as being a co-founder if we do see some this as a, something that we want to do uh, moving forward. Yeah, so I think that's how we sort of came together. So it was. A different, a lengthy process, but I think that was that three uh, principles lah that we I sort of used to try to identify co-founders yeah you know, in my team. Wow, I can see. Okay, so your three came from very different places, but all had something in common. Just quite fated. I think <laughs> yeah, it's quite lucky and quite good. I'm uh, just thinking. Um, whether there's some any questions on the board now? If any, cause uh, maybe Nicholas, if there's any, could help us to flash it. Thank you. Okay, so we have one question from Isabella. So her question is, how do you go about fundraising? And any other tips to give to her or other startups who should fundraise? Yeah, so I think uh, we are in the, at least for Skillio, we are in a very interesting position, right? Because we are a student-run startup, uh, and and uh, in in any student-run startup, right? Uh, one of the biggest challenges that you will have. Uh, Is to is fundraising <laughs> because investors won't pay your school fees, right? So they will be asking, they will be, they will require full time commitment from you. They'll be like, oh, you know, are you willing to drop out? You know, if let's say I fund you, right? And uh, because it, it is only fair, right, for them because they are investing other people's money, right? And they need to make sure that you know they are putting the bets in the right uh, team. Um, so that's naturally one challenge that you have, right? Trying to uh, go about fundraising. Uh, how do you prove that you have credibility? Uh, how do you prove that you have uh, um, you have the right team to execute? And a lot of times, the red flag that comes to a team uh, is the commitment, right? So do you have the commitment to bring it forward? Um, And I think, especially for our case, right? We, we, um, especially for like students run startup or any kind of new establishment, you need to be able to prove that uh, you do you do a lot more work, like in the sense that you need to prove that you have more traction. You have you need to prove that you have a big problem, a big market, and this is then where the investors will start to take attention or take notice of you. Um, and, I would say if you can don't fundraise, don't fundraise, right? You, if you can bootstrap, you bootstrap because that's really a sign that you are able to bring the company together and execute towards the vision. So I think in our case, right, uh, we were we we were we sort of fundraise in a sense through grants. We fundraise through actually going for competitions uh, and winning so some of these competitions, and also we actually looked out for customers. So the best fundraising is to sell your product. Right, uh, and get um um uh, kind of revenue from selling a product, and that actually also uh, contributes towards your traction. Um, I hope I answer your question, but uh, I would say that the fundraising process um is very different for every single startup. Um, and and in the investors kind of mindset, right? If you put on an investors hat, there is a few things that they are trying to de-risk, right? So for every team that they invest in, or every startup that they invest in, there's a set of risks that they take, right? So one is like the team risk. Right, so can the team execute? Are the team complementary? Are the team uh, is the team can you know bring the product to life? The second one is product risk, right? So can are the are the product actually solving a pain point? Uh, you know, are the users coming back to the product? Are the users actually sharing about the product, right? And then you have a market risk as well, right? So how big is the market? Uh, are you able to uh, monetize, right? Are you able to you know um sell your product in the market and you know uh, get recurring revenue and grow your revenue fast enough? So there is this um whole set of different risks that the investors have to take for any startups that they invest in. And as a startup founder, 
what you want to do is to try to de-risk as many of these risks as you can, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have good traction, uh, you have good user numbers, right? Back it up and say that tell your investor, say, hey, you know, uh, these are some of our metrics, these are some of our traction that we have gotten, uh, and these are some of the risks that we have and how we plan to mitigate those risks. And if you can think of it uh, in this manner, right? Usually the investor will be quite impressed uh, because they're thinking from their perspective and thinking from what uh, they are looking for and what they need, lah. Yeah. I hope I answer your question, uh, Isabella. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, I think for people like me also, because we are not too into the entrepreneurship scene. I didn't know all this. So maybe if I ever I venture to those scenes, I can take note of the pointers. Thank you. I think I think we have also another question. Uh, if Nicholas, yeah, thank you. Um, the question is, we would like to find out how did you get your first users and what kind of strategies did you use for first testing PMF with your MVP? Yeah, so um, our journey was super long and windy. Um, so when we first started um, back in 2019, uh, we our first product, right? We we were we saw a lot, we straight away went to code out the mobile version of the app, and what we realized was that um, the schools didn't even want to use our product. Why? Because they are not even allowed to use phones in class back then. So this was a, a basic, you know, startup 101 error, right? <laughs> that, that, you know, we didn't realize that we made, right? Because we didn't talk to our users enough, right? We didn't um, really try to understand what they need or, or the ecosystem that they exist within, right? And from there, we actually sort of um, uh, listen a bit more to our users, listen to the stakeholders like the teachers, the students, uh, before we sort of be able to uh, sort of pivot and, uh, in our product. So like I think for us, uh, where we got our first users, right, was actually um, through a lot of our friends and family, right, uh, because our, our product is mainly used within schools. So and especially for us, we reach out back to our alumni, uh, to our secondary school and you know our JCs and actually test the product within a small pilot class and things like that. So when we sort of, um, I, I was sharing that we have our first error, which is to straight away code something and then realize that something didn't work and we have to redo everything. And in that second attempt, what we did was that, hey, um, let's not build anything at all. Let's build something, uh, what we call a piecemeal MVP. And what does that mean, right? It's basically putting every single other technology we can find, right? And to simulate uh, the whole experience, right? So we use like Google Sheets, we use like, you know, um, Google Slides and all of that to try to simulate the experience of, you know, um, their, their, um, their input being able to come out and generate as a soft skills report. Right, so at back then the AI was asked, you know, manually at the back end, mapping out everything that they have written on our platform, and then giving, sending them a report uh, to the students. Right, um, and when we sort of were able to sell this concept uh, to our first client, which uh, which paid us like six hundred dollars uh, to to use this concept, right, and it's an MVP version, right, so there is no software; it's just basically uh, a website at the front, and then the key in some information, and us at the back end doing all the mapping. When we sold that for our, uh, when we sold that to our first client, that was where we realized that uh, we we are hitting something, right? Um, and uh, that's where we started to say, hey, let's start to code out certain parts. Let's start to automate certain parts of the whole procedure. Uh, and that's sort of how we sort of iterated and moved forward uh, since then. Uh, um, I would say that you know finding product market fit, right? It's a little bit like playing golf, right? Uh, you start at you know somewhere and then you 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 hit your first stroke. Uh, you don't know where the ball will land, right? Because you roughly, roughly feel that you know the the hole is somewhere there, right? And after you, after you maybe you take your first uh, hit on the ball, you realize your ball lands somewhere here, and then you are trying to take your second hit uh, before you can get closer and closer uh, to the hole that you are supposed to put the golf ball in, right? So product market fe- feels something like that, right? You are figuring out in the dark. You're trying to figure out um, whether or not you are hitting the right spot. Um, so I think a framework that's very helpful, right, uh, where, which I learned from uh, Y Combinator, um, which is a good resource for all the startup founders, um, is a, a few things, right? Uh, to identify if you have product market fit, the first thing is, does your product solve a problem that the user has? Right. So that's the first checkpoint. The second one is, does the user come back to your product uh, after it solved the pain point? So the value, so your first one, does it solve a problem? So what's the value to the user? Does the, does the user come back consistently to experience the value that you bring to them? So that's user retention. And the last one is, you know, does the user actually refer, you know, to other people about your product, right? So once you sort of hit these three uh, kind of uh, 
points, right? And you're able to get some good numbers and metrics behind these three. Uh, that is usually where uh, you'll start to see some form of product market fit and people coming back to the platform, people sharing about it, you know, people talking about it. Yeah. So I think that will be how I answer your question, uh, Taran. Thank you. That's very interesting. And uh, I learned how what's the meaning of uh, PMF, product market fit. The audience didn't know. Uh, didn't know. So thank you. Um, if there's no more questions from the audience currently, so I think um, we can pivot to maybe our questions about Skillio's future, maybe. So I think one question which I think um, a lot of people may be asking is that I know you're currently focusing on schools, youth organizations, and students. I'm just wondering whether is there any uh, possibility of expanding it to the bigger demographic, meaning adult population and stuff. Yeah, so I think right now we are very focused on the tertiary student space. So students that are, you know, uh, 17 to 25, uh, because we, we feel that this is the space where uh, students are transiting right into the workplace. Um, and I think for us, because we ourselves are in this uh, age group, so we are in a very unique vantage point to work with this group of users. Um, and I think for us, the big vision, right, is that um, Scalio becomes like, you know, like GitHub, GitHub users, you know, uh, allow people like technical people, right, to show off their technical abilities or showcase the technical abilities. So we want Skillio to be something like GitHub, but for soft skills. So any individual, right, are able to lock in their things and showcase their soft skills to, you know, future employers or, you know, when they're applying for college or universities. But right now, I think we are starting uh, small and starting niche right in the tertiary student space and we do hope to actually expand it out um you know to the to the working adults and the millennials uh, in the workforce yeah but i think uh for us we are very focused on this group of students or this group of users at, at the moment okay thank you i think um this one uh possible expansion is the adult side but another way is because i think in our audience today we have people from different countries and also those many people watching the so-called recorded podcast after this event so just wondering for especially for our audience who are overseas here, whether Skillio is to be able to be um, used by international audience. Yeah. Um, so we actually have uh, clients in uh, Indonesia as well as India. So uh, definitely something that uh, we don't look at just it being in a Singapore only kind of product. Uh, we do see this as something, and soft skills is something that every industry or every country right will require especially in the age of automation and artificial intelligence uh, and i think our big goal of course right is that this is can be used worldwide right uh, similar to linkedin right but i think we are starting small within singapore and uh, the next few uh, kind of ex expansion uh, region we are looking at uh, is probably thailand vietnam as well as philippines uh, and indonesia uh, and then also looking at you know some of the more developed countries like your US and uh, Europe, um, yeah. So so we do have plans for that, um, and uh, yeah, we are just you know have to sort of work it through uh, step by step. Okay. So can our international audience here today, maybe not clients but students, they mm -hmm. also yep. use Skillos platform? Yeah, they can as long as they can uh, um, they can use English like, I think because right now our platform is fully in English. Um, so as long as they're proficient in English, I think um, more than more than able to use the platform uh, as they want. Ah, that's good. That's good. Okay, I think um, maybe uh, moving on to our focus, which is on basically uh, some lessons learned you have learned from the past, whether with Skillio or without Skillio. So I think one uh, very broad question is maybe because we have many students and youth here today on some tips which you wish to provide, maybe three, on how can they better prepare themselves for the future? Mm. Yeah, so so I think uh, this is some this topic is something close to my heart, right? Because I think um, I interface with a lot of HR uh, professionals from MNCs, from startups, from SMEs. And I think one of the common threads that I'm hearing uh, is that uh, a lot of things, especially with the pandemic and the COVID and everything, right? Um, a lot of things that companies are trying to automate they are trying to use uh, technology to you know make things easier uh, and in that process right that also means that a lot of jobs is going to go away right a lot of jobs that are very hard skills uh, intensive is going to go away right and um, what can you know like the young of today or the you know the gen z's that's going coming through the education system uh prepare themselves right in, in that kind of future we believe right is really about the soft skills right things like leadership things like com uh, you know uh, communication right things like adaptability right these are skills that your robots or your you know uh, ai or whatsoever cannot replace at the moment right and uh, we believe that i think uh, especially for the youth of today right uh, it's important to first right have a growth mindset to know that your capacity and your ability is not fixed 
right? Uh, and that you know you don't have to go the conventional path or conventional route to be successful, right? So that's number one, right? Having the growth mindset to be willing to uh, learn and willing to grow. Um, and the second one, right, is really to uh, um, be um, uh, be a good communicator, right? Because I think especially in today's age, right, with Zoom and everything, uh, a lot of times the you can have a good idea. But if you can't communicate the idea or cross to the other person, to your audience, uh, there's a lot of times where it fails. And I think when we hear feedback right from the companies that we work with, a lot of times uh, what they realize that Gen Zs or millennials that just come into the workforce uh, lacks is the ability to communicate well or communicate their points across in a way that it doesn't offend others, in a way that brings their point across in a succinct manner. Uh, and I think that's the second thing. Lah. The last thing will probably be uh, being adaptable. Lah. I think um, <laughs> COVID has just uh, really taught us that it is important to be adaptable, to be nimble, right? If we are too comfortable, right, in where we are, a lot of times uh, it's danger, right? Uh, and I think once what we want to do is really then can you, um, can we push ourselves to always uh, expand uh, towards our comfort zone and push ourselves beyond our boundaries? Uh, and, and being adaptable and nimble to the changes and circumstances that comes along. Uh, I think this will be the three kind of tips I would say lah, that um, for you know for students or youth that are about to enter the workforce or you know in the couple of coming years. Wow, yeah, I totally agree with all those three because I personally believe in those three traits also. So I hope the audience here today can take some of the tips back and maybe see how you can implement it or just uh, take a look out for it in your life. Setting on a com- um, topic on um, growth mindset, just wondering if you have any significant resources, like any blogs or any books you particularly read, which you believe that which was useful to you, and therefore you wish to share with the audience here today. Yeah, I think uh, there has been a couple of literature written about um, growth mindset. I think the the sort of the OG or the the very first few person that talked about that was Carol Dweck, right? So Carol Dweck uh, has been a big uh, uh, you know a proponent right of growth mindset. Um, and I think in her research, she talked about how, uh, you know, within like her own study and research, how students that, that have fixed mindset versus growth mindset uh, and the differences that, you know, having just a little tweak in their thinking uh, can actually bring uh, in their lives, in their, you know, achievements in what they want to do in life. Um, I think that would always be my holy grail that I sort of go back to uh, when, I, when I sort of read about some of these things. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, go check out Carol Dweck. <laughs> okay, I'll take note of name down. Um, because on the topic of adaptability and stuff, I'm just I mean it's quite common for conflicts to happen in your team or in any team in but in any cases. So I'm just yeah, wondering, yeah. um, how do you overcome or resolve those conflicts? Maybe like just one case study so you can learn something from it. Yeah, so I think um conflicts are bound to happen, right? Especially um in in an online kind of uh, way, right? And especially if you are doing internship right now, most of it should be remote, right? And how do you uh, manage, you know, um, um, disagreements, right? Or or things that um, uh, doesn't work out as well. I think uh, the first few steps, right, is really to look at, you know, um, to sort of leave the emotions out of the door, right? And really look at objectives. So I think in any, uh, if you're starting your own business or if you are working in a team, a lot of times, there is a certain purpose or objective that the team is working towards, right? And these objectives are usually very um, grounded. La. It's not very airy-fairy kind, la, right? Uh, and, and, uh, and I think then you have to ask yourself, la, when you are sort of having a conflict about certain issues or certain topic, how does it contribute to the objective? Right, and uh, if it doesn't contribute to the objective, right, uh, then a lot of times these are unnecessary conflicts. Right, if let's say you are debating about, you know, maybe uh, what's a good strategy to reach out to more users, maybe right, um, and a lot of times then you can actually sort of um, substantiate what you want to say, right, with more data points, right. So if you use a data-driven argument, you will not lose, right. But if you are using, oh, you know, I feel that I. I feel that this should be done this way. You know, uh, I, I just think that, you know, this will work in, in this manner. So if it's left feelings, kind of uh, uh, driven kind of argument, a lot of times it will fall flat on the ground, right? I, but, and I think uh, if, let's say, you sort of substantiate with data, substantiate with, you know, uh, research and statistics, uh, that will actually make your point a bit better. And I think if everybody come in with the mindset that this is an objective discussion and that we are trying to move 
the needle and achieve the goal together, right? A lot of times, this conflict can be resolved. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. I think the data-driven approach is quite useful. Okay, I'll take note of it next time if there's any conflict. Hopefully not, but yeah, I think it's in here with the bank. I think um I think now it's 7:35. Just wondering if anyone has any questions. I think I see a few. So uh yeah, thank you, Nicholas. So the question here is, so far, what are the challenges you face with the implementation of AI to measure soft skills and still deal? Yeah, so uh a lot of challenges, <laughs> right? So um first right will be that there are so many soft skills in the world, right? Which one do we focus on? Right, because I think when we speak to schools, they're like, "Oh, you know, I want this, I want that," you know, like, and and the thing is, how do we then make sure that our first few soft skills that we focus on are soft skills that are important, right? So that's the very first step, right? How do we select the soft skills that's important and that will be recognized by everybody, right? And um, and then the next step is how do we ensure that um, the accuracy, the predictive validity, uh, all of that are uh, are there. Right, and a lot of times uh, this would require uh, quite a number of data points, right? Uh, to sort of run through the the system, uh, test out on the modeling and things like that. So, and and especially for a startup, right? Um, it is difficult, right? Uh, to have that kind of resources, like having tons of data, um, and having you know maybe the engineers to work on a perfect model, um, which is why I think it's important to take it as an iterative approach. Right. So when you sort of do phase one, how does phase one look like? How does what's what what didn't work, and then uh, sort of carry on and go to phase two and phase three. Um, so definitely a lot of challenges, and and uh, especially also in terms of the business front, right? So when you're trying to communicate the concept across to our clients, right? So a lot of them they be like, oh yeah, this is interesting, um, but right for them this is very new. Right, because a lot of times, especially in traditional schools, right, uh, they don't have a measure to look at measuring soft skills. Right, uh, a lot of times uh, it is just oh, you know, I feel that you are a, a good leader and things like that. So trying to then educate the users is another challenge that we have. So how do you educate and convince them that our approach or our philosophy or thinking behind it uh, is credible, is something that works, uh, and that is also another challenge that we have. Yeah, hope I answered the question, Jia Chang. Definitely a lot of challenge, lah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you for answering that question. Uh, oh, it's another question. So, um, Taiwan, what would you say would be the main metric that you're looking at to validate PMF? I would say user retention. So, um, a lot of times, uh, like I I mentioned three just now. So, like um, having uh people who like who use your product. So that's your how many users you have, right? Uh, the second one is do they come back, right? So that's user retention. The last one is uh, uh referrals, right? So do they actually refer you to other people? Um, and I would say that the most important I would say is the second one, which is user retention, followed by referrals and then uh, users. Because a lot of times, right? Uh, you can spend money to acquire users. You can spend on ads and everything, but how many of them are active users? That means people that actually realize the value of the product. Uh, I think that if you can get that number, I think uh, there's this uh, whole concept around. Uh, I think forty percent of your users that actually will be very disappointed if your product doesn't exist anymore, right? Uh, this is a good sign. Uh, that your that you are actually solving a pain point and the users are coming back. Right then, the second metric that I would say is very important is to your do the users actually share with other people. So if they do, that's also a very good metric because uh, only when you are confident that uh, the product is good and solve your pain point, will you be willing to put my reputation out there and share this with someone else. Um, and uh, usually, these two I would say is the most important metric I would say to sort of validate lah. Uh, we are also at varying stages uh, in Skillio of trying to validate these metrics, um, but I think it's a very good guiding uh, north star, right, for the company to rally towards in trying to drive the product development in the company. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing the metrics. I think. I think. Yeah. I think those are things. I'm. I mean, I didn't really Google, but I don't think that such information can be found online. So thank you. Really appreciate that you're sharing it directly with the audience here today. Who, for example, for Taiwan, loves it. So I think the yeah, go go and check out Y Combinator on YouTube. There's yes, many yes. lectures. <laughs> There's yes, many yes. lectures, uh, and it's really wonderful. A lot of the concepts and frameworks that they share. So Y Combinator is you know the best if you are looking at really trying to understand how to start a startup from the ground up, especially for first time founders uh, like myself as well. Okay, thank you. Our next question. So is 
how do you actually by catching it how do you actually discover what you really want to do and not work for a full-time job but you have chosen a startup founder <laughs> uh, thanks Catherine for the question right I have never done a full-time job okay I did like, I did an internship okay um, so so uh, how did I know I, I actually for me um, I didn't I didn't sort of base my value or what I want to do on um, metrics like whether I can get uh, high income or things like that right for me it was more about um, what kind of impact can I make to others? in whatever thing I do, right? So whether is it I start a startup or eventually, let's say if I don't do a startup, I join a company, what kind of impact am I making uh, in the company? So I think that was my sort of um, um, guiding star, if I would say, to sort of consider opportunities that I have. Uh, and for me, at that point in time, uh, when I started Scalio, uh, there was a huge problem and, you know, I wanted to see, you know, since I have time in university, can I try to solve it? Um, and I think since then, I have been enjoying the ride. Uh, I have been enjoying the kind of impact that I'm making. Uh, I think that sort of, you know, sort of uh, made me want to continue doing it. And of course, you know, um, the thing with startup is that it might not work, right? Uh, and even if, let's say, uh, you know, it doesn't work, I would still look at industries where it allow me to achieve the kind of sim- similar impact that I hope to uh, have. So I, I don't think... I think it varies for different people to people like you know uh, your priorities are different right uh, because your circumstances are different um, but at the end of the day I think uh, what you have to ask yourself is what makes you happy right um, you know and whether if, if you know if making money makes you happy you know by all means right because that's 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 okay right and if let's say making an impact is something that makes you happy then you want to evaluate whether what you're doing right now in life whether is it in your job whether is it in your free time are you actually, uh, you know, striving towards that? Uh, so I think that's a little bit for me, like, in a sense that um, how did I discover was really because the work that I'm doing, I enjoyed it, I liked the impact that I'm making, uh, and that sort of, you know, uh, made me want to do it. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I think I'm following up for the question, you have mentioned that uh, your aim is to make impact, which is great. But I'm just wondering also, I'm sure you have, there's many sacrifices that you had to uh, do, especially <laughs> your yeah. work, etc. So how do you, with the mindset you'll make impact, but how do you still cope with the fact that you're going to make a lot of sacrifices? Yeah, I, I think that's a, uh, that's a very good question. I think uh, in life, there's, <laughs> you can't have everything, right? Um, and I think then it's all about, um, you know, what's the trade-off that you're willing to take Right. So for me, I in university, I, I took a leave of absence from school. I um, stopped school for almost a year to con- to sort of uh, work on Scalio full time. Um, and at that point in time, the, the trade off was like, okay, uh, I don't really think that my grades are so important uh, because I think that's just a, a, a byproduct of my life. Right. And, and I said that, you know, uh, the impact I'm making uh, with Scalio is actually much more and it's something that can be recurring. Right. Uh, and I think that's why I sort of then make that decision to say, okay, I'll put my studies on pause uh, and then, you know, I'll pursue Scalio full time to try to get it off the ground. Um, and I think a lot of times um, when it comes down to sacrifices and trade off, um, it really then you have to then make that, um, uh, that, dis- that, that kind of understanding and weighing. And uh, are you at the, at a person, as a person right now, at, my po- at this point in time in your life, are you okay with the trade off? Right. And if you are, then I think by all means, go for it, right? If you're not, right, let's say for example, right, you know, uh, I'm going to graduate already and then I, I'm not able to make like, you know, uh, a fresh graduate salary of like $4,000 a month or whatsoever, right? Am I okay with not making that um, salary for maybe two years, um, but I can focus on Skillio and maybe try to get it off the ground, right? So I think these are questions that you have to ask and then the trade-offs uh, that you have to be, are you, that you are trying to think whether you're comfortable with and if you are, then I think by all means, go for it. Ah, okay. Thank you. I think I was, on the topic of money, just mentioned about I mean, money is something someone's looking out for. <laughs> Did your family or the family supportive of your choice? And let's say, uh, I believe if whether they are or they weren't, but how will you, maybe some found, someone who is a potentially a founder in our audience today, maybe he or she has some difficulties to convince the family that maybe mm-hmm. in this startup thing, he won't earn as much. So how do you go about doing that? Oh, then you're, you're asking him a very difficult question. <laughs> I, I guess uh, it, it is very different for every different uh, people and different family. And I think uh, that's why I always admire people who, you know, um, are mid-career and then they drop out of their job 
uh, high paying jobs to start their own company it's so difficult right because your obligations are so much um, and I would say if you're a student um, right now and uh, you want to start your own company you should because there's no obligations you don't have to pay for your utility bills you don't have to pay rent and all that I think this is that's the best time right um, and I think for me um, I didn't really have much um, objection uh, for my parents right they just wanted me to get a degree uh, in, in any way shape or form <laughs> right um, and and uh, um, as long as I do that uh, they are pretty much supportive of what I do um, and uh, for them it's more of like as long as I'm what I'm doing is not harming other people and it's doing good uh, they were pretty supportive lah. Um, but of course, you know, when it comes to the topic of money, right? So where are you able to feed yourself and things like that? I think that's something that um, you you also then need to set a timeline for yourself, right? Because you can't go on $1 per month uh, for 5 years or 10 years, right? Because, you know, your life stages will change and, you know, what you need uh, will be will vary across different life stages. And I think then at that point in time, then you need to set a realistic timeline for your own startup to say that, hey, you know, when I reach this kind of metric, like maybe if I can raise a fundraising round, I'll continue, right? If I don't, right, uh, I might consider doing it part-time and find a full-time job or, you know, I may consider shutting it down. Um, and I think it's not a yes-no kind of decision, right? Uh, it's not like, oh, you know, it doesn't work, I shut it down, right? There are many other ways you can consider to sort of continue doing it while securing other kind of uh, opportunities to maybe um, sort of bolster up the finance part of, you know, doing a startup. Uh, so I think be creative and be resourceful uh, about how you uh, want to look at this situation. Okay, yeah, I think it's good to open your options up and see what you can do best with your um student life, etc. So I think we have one more question from the audience. The question is, um, what's your personal vision for Skillio? By Isabel. Yeah. Yeah, thanks Isabella for the question. I think for us, uh, it's really about how do we help um, to create um, how do we help to make sure that success is multi-dimensional I think uh, for a lot of us that go through the education system uh, there has only been one thing that we are chasing right good grades right and that good grades open up doors to where we want to go in the future whether is it you know to a, a privilege uh, to a you know a very good university or you know to get a very good job a good head start in their career and all that that is only one metric Right, and it's very sad that you know, uh, like the whole all of us, right, as you know, students within the education system are just gunning for that. And a lot of times, I think for us when we started this, right, we were thinking about how can we make sure that success is multi-dimensional. Uh, that you also look at qualities and uh, abilities beyond just studying, right? Uh, things like you know, compassion. Things like you know, uh, your teamwork abilities. How do you work in a team? How do you, you know, um, you know, overcome challenges, right? Uh, in in a kind of uh things that you are facing in your life or you know in your own company and things like that so i think for us the big vision is to say hey can we have uh, success uh, that is in multi-dimensional format and that we want to make sure that we help companies uh, help schools to adopt that kind of multi-dimensionality right in success uh, so for example can i hire somebody based on their soft skills and not just looking at their grades right can i admit somebody into university based on their attitude and not just their A-level score or their, you know, uh, national exam score, right? So I think that's the big vision that we have and that's something that we really hope that we can help to drive in terms of uh, changing our mindsets across the different stakeholders about the idea and definition of success. Oh, okay. And I hope it's useful for you, Isabella. I think it's very useful for me, at least. Okay. Um, I think I think the question which is on everybody's mind, I'm sure you'll be expecting this question, is basically how COVID has affected um, Skillio and if it's negative then uh, how do you actually adapt your organization to it? Yeah, so very interestingly I think when we sort of launched our closed beta it was during uh, circuit breaker last year so it was like you know around uh, where COVID was pretty high in, in Singapore right that was around May, June-ish of 2020 um, and uh, well, of course we didn't get hit that badly right because we were not very actively reaching out to clients uh, before that right um, but of course in that small transitional phase what we realized was that we had to help a lot of our clients move online right so for all of the training organizations that we work with that use Skillio, uh initially they were doing physical classes right so they went down and you know do conduct classes and then they use Skillio in class um, and what we realized is that with the online format uh, even though uh, it is not our duty, right, to make sure that they can succeed or thrive well in the online virtual format. 
it is part is also for our own good if we can make sure we can adapt our systems and adapt and help our clients uh make full use of the platform in a virtual format so i think uh that was something that we had to sort of pivot and and, and adjust towards uh during covid period and uh, i was actually quite surprised that during covid we actually got more inquiries uh, because i think with the kind of remote learning and things like that um you know schools and and uh, youth organizations are looking at how uh, they can also bring the experience of learning and bring the experience of you know helping students understand soft skills in a virtual format and i think then uh, that's where we sort of are coming pretty nicely for that yeah okay thank you for sharing that you've mentioned also a lot of um helping your different stakeholders and clients i think a lot of youth you know Sometimes they find it a bit scary to reach out to clients. You know, they're not sure where they reply uh, a person. So I think maybe can you share some tips on client engagement? How do you um, reach out to them? How do you ensure that there is a transaction, if any, or if there isn't, there is still a good relationship? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, being a student, right, is a pro and con, right? It's a double-edged sword, <laughs> right? Um, so when we first um, sort of sell our product to a, a school client, uh, they were thinking, so are you a school project? So will you close down six months later? <laughs> right, and and uh, they were like, ah, you, sh- you, you sure that you're charging me a product? You know, and, and things like that. So I think we then had to um, show them that we are really selling them a product and then we are, you know, um, and that we have use cases, testimonials from our past clients uh, and that, you know, we are registered as a real company. Um, and that sort of, you know, uh, sort of convinced them like, that we are sort of legit. Like. Um, and I guess some tips, right, would be that, uh, especially for students, um, I think that's the best time, right? Uh, even if you make mistakes, people will just think that they are just mentoring you or giving you advice. So I don't think you need to be shy. I think LinkedIn is your best friend, right? Um, to reach out, to call in, call in message people, um, get them to, you know, um, help you. Um, and even if they don't become your client, right? A lot of times, uh, they can also become very good um, uh, users to give you feedback. Uh, and to connect you with people who might be interested. Um, so being student is actually pretty very good in getting yourself into the door, right? And then it, it is where, it is, when it is hard, right? It is when you are trying to close the deal, right? Because then we're like, oh, you're a student. Are you sure you can do that? You, and things like that. So the first step, you know, as a student to get into the door is very easy, right? Because you're a student, people will want to listen to you. People want to, want to uh, know you more, right? And then the harder part is where, how do you convert them from just being uh, uh, someone you talk to to a paying client? Uh, and I think that's where um, some tips will be that you need to make sure that you really know what you're doing. You really know your stuff and you have some kind of like um, pilot or some kind of like results to show uh, to your client. Uh, and hopefully then they'll be willing to put some money or, you know, even if it's uh, um, a discounted rate, as long as they are willing to put in some money with you, I think that's a good first use case. And then you use that first use case to talk to other people uh, of the same kind to then get them to also purchase uh, what you have. So I think getting the first client is the hardest. Once you get that, you can then replicate it with more other clients. Ah, okay. So it's, I think the first thing to do is always the hardest, that is easier because you get used to it, right? along the way okay thank you i think um is there any other questions from the audience oh this one here or oh, from cha chiang so he's asking about trade-offs so are there any trade-offs that you regret taking your startup journey oh <laughs> there's a lot of trade-offs um like I, there are a lot of trade-offs that i took uh, for example like you know um uh, having no social life, right? That's that's a very big trade-off. So in, in university, I was in I was part of uh, you know in hall, um, and in in my year two, I was you know uh, very very busy with trying to work on skill, right? And I sort of you know forego a lot of the kind of social activities or events that you know um, you know some of uh, the hall has, right? And and uh, and I lost a lot of friends during that period of time. Um, and you know even other trade-offs are like you know oh my grades right so i i got like b plus b minus for my studies and things like that um and i think um if i were to think back i wouldn't have regretted any of these trade-offs that i make uh, because i think when i sort of corresponded with the bigger picture i felt that um this was worth it right um and and i think for every any youth out there um one thing to consider really is that these trade-offs are actually temporary, are things that actually are, are in, in front of you. But I think if you look at the whole journey itself, 
I think a lot of time we are very myopic in like, oh, you know, wow, if I do this, I will miss out on that, and I really want the other thing, right? Um, but that is actually very short term, right? But if you take a step back and look at the big picture, a lot of times you realize that this trade off is worth it. Right? Why do I say that? Um, when I actually sort sort of um, did scale for the past two years. I've learned so much, right? I'm studying global studies, right? I learned how to draft contracts. I learned how to negotiate deals uh, with my clients. I learned how to network and you know get to know people within the industry uh, that are you know so much more experienced than I am. Um, and I think that in itself, right, is something that I really treasure a lot. And it's something that I felt that if I hadn't made those uh, trade-offs, I wouldn't have experienced those um, uh, kind of longer-term benefits, lah. So I would say that uh, when we talk, when it comes to trade-offs, um, uh, a lot of times uh, um, it could be something that is very short-term, very myopic, and I think then you want to make sure that okay, are you okay with taking this, you know, trade-off, and then hopefully in return for something that is um, beneficial to you in a longer term, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think there's a lot of trade-offs to be made. Yeah, it's expected. That's perfectly fine. Okay, I think now it's seven fifty-six. So I just wish to ask one uh, final time if anyone has any questions for Felix. This is the best time to ask. Okay, so I'll pause for maybe ten seconds to see if there's any questions. Okay, if not, then I will thank um Felix for coming down today. I think um if any of you are interested, also you can follow the LinkedIn page, which I believe is Skillio. Yeah, so um, you can go to our website skillio.co, s k i l i o dot c o. Um, we have opened up our beta access for public, right? So you can actually just sign up um, using the try it, try Skillio now on our website to sign up. Okay, thank you. And I think that um, if they are interested to connect with you, is it okay if they connect with you by LinkedIn? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. I think if there's anyone who uh, you know would like to ask more about. Uh, how we started and get some advice, or you know, just for me to share a bit more of my story with you to, as you are starting out your own journey. Happy to do so. Uh, just drop me a LinkedIn uh, connect, and uh, we can actually take it from there. Yeah, thank you for offering your time. I think to sum up, I think um, hopefully this, this opportunity is useful for all of our audience here today, and for those who will be listening to the podcast, we hope it's valuable to you still as well. Now, I think um, CEO class, we have our LinkedIn and we also have our Instagram platforms. So if you wish to find out more from other speakers. In addition to Felix, you can follow us on those platforms as well. Yeah. So if there's no other questions from anyone, I wish to thank Felix once again and the CEO class team for being here today also for coming down. So thank you everyone. Thank you everybody. All right. Have a good evening, everyone. Good evening. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Bye.